If you know your party's extension, please dial it now. Houston, we have a problem. I'm sick of all this complaining all the time. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Multitasking in Heels. We're thrilled to have you with us. And joining Lindsay and I today is Rick Fay, one of the hosts of the critically acclaimed podcast, Small Town Scuttlebutt, which takes place in our hometown of Medfield, Mass. Welcome to the podcast, Rick. Hey, guys. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for joining us. Um, yeah. So before we get into our topic today, Rick, as our guest, can you share your pump and flat moments of the week with our listeners? Yeah, real easy. This was not hard to think about. My pump was the moment that my daughter and I came to the conclusion of the book, The BFG. I've been reading this to her every night, a couple chapters every night. I never read this book when I was a kid. My wife says it was her favorite book. In fact, when you open it up, the inside cover has my wife's little <laughs> girl drawing, like writing. <laughs> Leslie Thornton, she saved it. So I thought, oh, how fitting. I read, read a couple chapters of this book and I realized I hate this book. It's got like all these nonsense <laughs> words in it. If you're not familiar with it, right? Like snoggle wuzzles and, and wuzzle berries and frazzled nozzles. And I'm just not into that. I'm 44. It's hard to get into that. But, um, and I love my kid, but I'm like, well, you already got into it. So you got to keep going. I came around. I started liking the book to get to the point. By the time we ended the book, spoiler alert, seriously, anyone that hasn't read this book, and might want to, I got goosebumps, like an overwhelming chill. I'm like the giant wrote the book. It's a memoir. I can't believe it. He actually is articulate, which would mean the queen takes him in and gives him a proper education. Oh, I love this book now. And I, I encourage every parent, if you're going to read a book with your kid, the BFG by Roald Dahl. Oh, I love Roald Dahl. Although I'm like such a piece so of shit. I always forget that the F stands for friendly. And I'm like, big fucking giant, big fat giant. Yep. Big <laughs> yep. Yep. That's awesome. All right. What about your flat yep. moment? So my flat involves my glasses. I had a perfectly good pair of glasses. And then we got a mini Bernadoodle puppy and uh, he ate glasses. So I had to go get a new pair and they're about $250. And I brought them home and I left them on the counter and he ate those too. So now I'm back to my third string quarterback, you know, on the roster glasses. These things are about 10 years old. You know what? It, I don't even know if they... If, the brand is William Rast. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, that's Justin Timberlake, right? Okay, right. That's what my wife told me. I thought that was funny. I'm, <laughs> I'm walking around with Justin Timberlake glasses now, ladies. <laughs> so that's my flat. Okay, well, let me put on your readers, my <laughs> cheaters. Um, my pump um was making my kid laugh so hard. And I always enjoy getting a very genuine laugh from my 13 year old son. That's not at me, you know, because that hardly ever happens. And he is hard to make genuinely laugh. So last night I was about to go out and meet Liz. And before I went, my husband was in his office, but he was super quiet. And it was like four o'clock and I needed to talk to Liz about podcast stuff. And so I rip open the barn door of the office and I'm like, bye. And ta-da! And he turns 
slowly around as I am zooming my eyes into his um, laptop. He's on a Zoom call with probably about eight bankers because he's a banker (laughs) who are staring at me like I'm a lunatic, which I probably did look like a lunatic. And I slowly close the barn door back and I walk into the living room and Brayden goes, what just happened? And I go, well, let's just say if dad needs to get a hold of me, which he probably won't want to, he can text me. I'll be with Liz. And he goes, what just happened? And I said, I walked in on a Zoom call with dad and there was eight bankers staring at me. And I was like, hey, and he could not stop laughing. So that was my pump. My flat was that I was talking to my mom this week and she's been doing a lot of conservatorship paperwork for my dad who's got Alzheimer's for those listeners that have been listening to us. And in Idaho, you don't just have the power of attorney. You have to have guardianship and a conservatorship. The conservatorship is over the financial piece. Mm -hmm. And my dad's had Alzheimer's for a very long time. We put him in memory care back in September and she's been dealing with us for a very long time. Well, while you do this, you still have to pay all these lawyer fees as well. She is like drowning in paperwork. But additionally, I Care A Lot, the movie that is getting buzz from the Golden Globes is all over Netflix as like number one or number three, top three movies. And so I started watching it because I wanted to see it. It has Peter Dinklage and Rosamund Pike. She won um, for Best Actress. And it hurt to watch because it's all about them taking advantage of elder care. Just a fair warning for those of you that have parents that are in memory care facilities or going into elder care. It's a good movie in spite of all that stuff, but it hurts to watch. And little note for you for Scuttlebutt, part of it was filmed in Medfield. So that was my flat. Yeah, I could see how like it's such a personal thing for you. I probably would have not had that that same reaction because I'm not in that same boat that you are, but I can understand how it would be a very personal thing to watch. So interestingly enough, my pump moment also had to do with one of my kids. So I like how all of our pump moments had to do with our children. I think that makes us really good parents. So, um, so it has to do with my daughter, Avery, both of you guys know, and she is, you know, at her core, a really happy and outgoing kid, but the, this pandemic and hybrid learning and all of that has really taken a toll on her self-esteem and her confidence, which is really heartbreaking to watch, especially because she's a little girl and Rick, you know, Rosie and Avery are such good friends. And I know you can appreciate this because they're the same age. And so all you want for any of your kids is for them to be happy and confident. And especially, you know, a daughter, I I really worry about confidence um, with her. And she's just really been struggling and hating school the way it is and only going part-time and all of that. And she feels like she's not doing a good job. She feels like she's really struggling and she's not. And, you know, I just kept, we had this conversation when I was putting her to bed one night and I said, you're doing the best that you can. And we are so proud of you. And I said, Avery, no other kid in the history of the world has ever had to do what you guys are doing right now. So what you're doing is super, super, super hard. And dad and I are so proud of you. 
and you're doing so great in school. And we got this awesome report from MAP that you're such a good friend and you're really in tune with other kids' emotions and you're so helpful. And that's like the only thing daddy and I could ever ask for. And, you know, we're here to support you and we're so proud of you. And she said, mommy, thank you for making me believe in myself. And I was like, oh, <laughs> started crying and she goes mommy are those happy tears and I was like they're happy tears she's like I'm so glad I could give you happy tears so yeah that that got me right right in the heart but yeah my flat moment on the other hand and Rick I wouldn't mind getting your perspective on this because it has to do with my husband so I'm having an art I'm an expert in husbands I am one myself so yep And I'm friends with your wife so I, I feel like you'd have some good perspective on this so I was in an argument with my oldest son about something. And I'm all like, you can't talk to me like that. I'm and so Dan comes swooping in from the other room and he turns to me and he goes, relax. Oh. So if I could have shot fire out of my eyes, he would have been incinerated on the spot because I have told him a number of times, this is my biggest pet peeve is when you tell me to quote, unquote, relax, particularly in front of the children, because it fucking undermines me. And it makes me look like my the reason why I'm angry isn't valid in front of our kids when I'm trying to discipline them. And I'm and he's like, what do you want me to do? Just let you lose your mind. <laughs> like there has to be a happy medium between you coming in and being relaxed, knowing I fucking hate it. And you letting me lose my mind, you know, and he and in his mind, I'm wrong for losing my shit. So he's coming in and calling me on it. But I like I ask pretty much nothing of him. And this is the one thing I've asked. So now my anger has gone from my son to my husband in front of my children. And I'm like, don't you talk to me like that. And I ended up storming out of the room like a petulant child and went upstairs to my room for like a half an hour until I could see Dan sacrificed himself for his children. He deflected. Oh, that's how you see it. Yeah. You you missed the part where he leaned over to his kids and he whispered, run. And then you just (laughs) laid into them and they escaped. (laughs) That's what he was doing. He he, he threw himself on the grenade. Exactly. Exactly. That's what he did. Mm. Now, um, no, it's funny. I like your reframing. Yeah. I like your reframing. In fact, I think we talked about this on your show when we were, because you asked us what are like, you know, three things that we shouldn't do as yeah. husbands. And that was like, oh, number yeah. one. The second you started the story, I'm like, Dan, don't do it. And then uh, relax. I'm like, what? I'm not even married to her. I know you don't say that. <laughs> right. I know. What would Leslie say to you if you came in and did that? Well, you know, what's funny. Um, sometimes I feel like, and Leslie and I are good at, co-parenting and working together we don't need to pig pile on the kids so if she starts something it's she can end it but sometimes if i'm in the other room and i hear that she might be hyping up the situation with her excitement then i just go in and now we're gonna do she was doing zone coverage she was taking two on now i'm here i just sort of take one off to the side and now we're doing man-to-man coverage right just a different defensive strategy and i kind of speak for the group and say all right charlie why were you bugging your sister okay terrific and then i said why don't you go get dressed and then they go off and then i say hey leslie i thought you were uh hyping them up a little bit and she's like yeah and then she'll agree Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of cool yeah and i appreciate that you say that to her not in front of the kids which i think is huge and then that gives her a moment to kind of reflect and be like yeah you know you're right because i'm not i believe you me i don't think i was handling the situation the right way but i don't need to be called out on it in front of my kids (laughs) yeah oh i get you i had a friend that uh, had disciplined his son, had set some consequences. You can't go out after school today or whatever because of something he, he 
didn't fulfill. And then I just witnessed the mom come home and swoop in and just reinstate all privileges. And, uh, you know, you stay out of it. But the husband later was like, I can't, can you, like, my authority is just stripped from me. And I'm like, it's none of my business, but yeah, that's, yeah, it's not a good look. That says something to the kid. It says, dad, I don't have to listen to you anymore. Yep. Yes. When you, instead of being on an even playing field, it's like, yeah. oh, someone, someone's yeah. opinion or discipline is more important than someone else's. Yeah. So Leslie and I are always communicating or a lot of times we just try to manage all this stuff at the dinner, dinner table. You know, just we're traditional that way. We all sit down at the table. We talk about all the stuff that maybe you were fortunate to do when you were a kid. I was, you know, we had a nuclear family, yep. a brother, sister, mom, dad. No matter how busy our schedules were, you know, we were settling our hash at the dinner table. I hated it in high school, but, you know. That's a great tradition to start, though, because, you know, over time, as your kids get older, they'll start sharing more and more things with you. You'll have more insight into, you know, have Lindsay and I both have kids in middle school. So the stuff that they share with you now is like really, really important yes. to, to pay attention to, as is the stuff that... The, they're not sharing with you. So that's a great tradition to start because hopefully you know, as they get older and they're exposed to more things and more conflict or whatever, that you've set this very open forum for them to discuss things with you guys. Yeah, and sometimes they just sort of, excuse me, sometimes they'll just sort of check in with one parent and maybe they'll, like the other day, Rosie got off the bus and she's walking up the driveway with me and she's getting weepy. She had a bad day. I said, well, what, what happened? She's reveals to me that she she's in third grade they're like on their sevens on their times tables and she got a 21 out of a 22 i was like really kind of annoyed that like i just wanted to like just are you serious like that is that's an a plus that's like three letter grades more better than no daddy used to get like come on i'm very proud of you but anyway like at dinner we brought it up in a different light that hey Leslie, I mean Rosie, tell mommy how well you did on the on the quiz, and then now she's hearing it for the first time, and so she gets her reaction, and then you can pop quiz seven times seven. You know she knows it. It's great. Yeah, and you it's help fun. to reframe things in her head instead of looking at it like quote unquote failure or whatever. You turn you helped her reframe it into a success, which I think is really important. Yeah, like uh, you were talking about confidence with your daughter. Rosie wants to be an engineer. Leslie's an engineer or has a degree in engineering. In fact, a um, little feminist history note here. Leslie, my wife, was in the first graduating class of chemical engineers at UNH to be um, comprised of mostly women. Wow. I did not know that. That's so really a chemical cool. Engineer. My really dad's cool. a civil engineer. Now Rosie wants to be an engineer. All right. So Rick, you are a bit of a renaissance man. You're a photographer, stand-up man, podcast, etc. Um, however, you're also the primary caregiver for your kids because Leslie works a traditional corporate job. And I know from experience, she's got very little flexibility in her role, even working from home. So if you were, let's say we're in quote unquote normal times and you're at a dinner party and you meet someone new and they say, hey, what do you do for work? What's your response to that? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's like, I don't work. They're like, okay. And then, and then it's like the gig's up pretty quick. I say, I just stay at home with my kids. I don't know how to, the job title, stay at home dad is weird. Like it, it made sense to me. I always yep. referred to a mom that stayed at home as a stay at home mom. And then I became a stay at home dad. I started thinking really marginal. I mean, I'm not trying to be a social justice warrior here for, for us, but it's not like you're a go to work mom, you know, or you're a go to zoom mom these days. It's like, it's like a gym, gym mm -hmm. teachers hate being called gym teachers. They want to be called physical education teachers or health teachers. 
They don't want to be referred to as the building or the part of the building that they're teaching the class in. You know what I mean? So I just say, so anyway, that was a long answer to, I stay at home with my kids. I raised them. So what was the transition from working full-time like for you to becoming a stay-at-home dad? I was a teacher at the time, and that required me leaving the house maybe at 6.30 in the morning, and I'd come home maybe 4.30. And then after dinner, I'd lesson plan or work on papers or something. Being being a newer teacher, I'm just constantly creating my own content, newer stuff all the time. Leslie had her regular like nine to six job. So you can imagine all of those things that need to get done that aren't getting done. You pile them up onto a Saturday and a Sunday. It gets hectic. It's stressful. People, you know, everyone's dealing with this sort of rat race. And then we were we're in a situation where Leslie just proposed the idea that I stay home. And uh, I gave some thought and came around. But I have to admit, there was sort of that male ego. Like I was always comfortable with my wife making more money than me. That There's nothing wrong with that to a man, right? I mean, some people would probably be bothered by that. Like a machismo and a guy might be like, I need to be the head of the household. My dad was the head of the household. My grandpa was the head. You know, I'm going to be. No, I don't care. If my wife is going to make more money than me, yay for me. Okay, I'm married up. But the idea of providing zero income changed the game even more as far as like, what is my value? Like, how do you, this is very non-traditional for a dad to be staying home. Like I, I always say all my friends by day are women. Like I have nine friends named Jessica, Four name, four friends named Lauren, and then a buddy named Steve. Yeah, that's what it's like. I, I feel um, it took me a, a little over a year to get over, like to really own what I do. Like now I love to be a dad at home. The, the things I've been experiencing with them is you can't put a value on it. It's I have friends that say, oh my God, I'm so jealous. I wish I could do what you do. And then I have an equal number of friends that say, Jesus Christ, I could never do that. Well, do you like the podcast? Love the yeah. podcast. Okay, it was all my idea. There's 100% mine. I've always thought about doing a podcast <laughs> yeah. for a walk with their dog or they're on a treadmill. You can play it in your kitchen while you're cooking dinner, whatever. It's just on your own time. You can multitask. I like it. And then the quarantine came around. And I'm like, this is the time to, to get it going, right? I knew Mike Page from uh, the Medfield after school program for my son. And we would just hit it off at those uh, drop-offs. And I thought, we're different. We, we have different viewpoints and perspectives. And I think that that's important to make a podcast work. If it's just two guys, or now we have Kathy Ferris, who I always wanted on the show. She's my yeah, mentor. When I got into stand-up comedy, definitely. I took a class You're with her. I don't know why, so, but she likes um, me. This, it also, she thinks I'm like, worthy of working with. Like, it's called workshopping. So we make the opportunity to go. I mean, it's three people converging. And what really makes it work for us, I think, is it's usually two on one. And it's usually them against me. And that's, that's my sweet spot. I like to be cornered. Well, you know from stand-up comedy <laughs> that like you endear yourself more to the audience if you're self-deprecating and you, you know, talk about, you know, either flaws or challenges or whatever. Like no one wants to listen to a stand-up comedian go up on stage and be like, oh, I'm so awesome. I'll, chicks dig me. Guys want to be just like me. You know, like this, it's the self-deprecation that people really appreciate. <laughs> so I've done a lot of studying on stand-up comedy like my library is pretty extensive you know um people laugh at two things surprise and feeling superior so when you're self-deprecating people are looking at you as that vulnerable piece of shit on stage that they are better than but they know it's all an act like when i go up there and i talk about how 
you know, I, I take a lot of parenting tips from what I see dogs, dog owners treating their dogs. I'm like, wow, you know, I make comparisons. I don't really do that. You know, I don't stand up comedy. It's satire. We're, we're taking things to a different level, you know, and then we're also surprising that left turn at the very end. That's what always gets. Them. Okay. Who is your favorite comedian one and how has the relationship between the three of you guys evolved over the three seasons mm-hmm. you guys have had. My favorite comedian of all time. Uh, I love Rodney Dangerfield. That guy is like a machine gun of setup and punches. Sometimes mm-hmm. the setup and the punch are in one sentence. If you if you go on YouTube and watch uh, clips of him on Johnny Carson, like where he's sitting on the couch, how he remembers 53 jokes and gets them out in less than two minutes. The work involved in that is is a whole new level. And to think that that guy was an aluminum siding salesman up until his 50s. And people don't know this about Rodney Dangerfield. He was a fledging comic, quit for 10 years and said, oh, what the heck? I'll try it again. And then he changed his name to Rodney Dangerfield and things started kicking in. So... So, Rick, what are you going to change your name <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what should I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know what's funny? I, next week we have Otis Key, a uh, former Harlem Globetrotter, coming on. And Mike Page, last time he was on, Mike Page asked for what would our nicknames be? And, and me and Otis have a relationship. We go way back. So he called me Mr. Finesse. So that was my name. Yeah. So I'll go with that. Oh, I love that. Uh, now, I've heard a lot of stand-up comedians talk about their Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Of, you know, comedians that have influenced them. And Ronnie Dangerfield is always represented yeah. along with, you know, like Richard Pryor and Dave Chappelle and David Tell and, you know, Carlin and all of that. So, Carlin. yeah. So, Carlin's my fave. Yeah. You know what's funny? I saw George Carlin at the Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom. He did about two hours, and it was basically he was getting he was working out material for an upcoming HBO special. Which six months later, you saw the the sixty minute version. I saw the hundred twenty minute version with a lot of shit in it, like stuff that he was taking for a walk in a direction that I lost him on. But that's what you have to do. That's the vulnerability. This is George Carlin getting up. He's going to give you what you want. He's going to give you the great stories and stuff that you came out for. But he's also going to take up some of your time with an hour of workout material. But currently, I love Bill Burr. Hands down, my favorite. I just love his attitude. Yeah. He's cantankerous. He's he's edgy. He's angry. He's not afraid to hide yep. it. He's irreverent and unapologetic, which is- You know, I, I do about. that too. And uh, people hate me. But- <laughs> Well, I, he, Bill Burr has fuck you money, so he can kind of afford yeah. to be unapologetic and yeah. reverent, but, um, but anyway, I know, uh, I don't, I don't yes. want to forget about Lindsay's question about the dynamic between you and Mike and Kathy and how that sort of evolved over the past couple of, of seasons from the first episode to where you guys yeah. are Yeah. Okay. So that's a great question because Mike and I, like I said, we formed a relationship based on parent teacher relationship from pickups, from crossing paths in town at Starbucks or whatever. So it's kind of a working relationship that has morphed into a friendship. You know what I mean? Like we both have a a mutual passion. We both want to do this. We won't, we both are creatively expressive people. We have good stories we want to share. We have perspective. So let's do that. We've evolved. Our friendships evolved. Our trust, our knowing how each other work has evolved with with Kathy, it's different because as a guy in my basement. Sounds a little Silence of the Lambs, Rick. Yeah, you don't. Bringing a woman into my basement and putting her in the corner, surrounded by me and this other guy. I mean, it sounds sounds a little creepy, right? That's why Kathy has to bring that yeah. thermos of wine with her. Yeah. 
I, that's right. That's right. She always, it's so funny. And she portions it. You should see her. She's, I know it's a tiny, we did. Yeah, tiny no, little right, thimbles right. of little wine. It's very so cute. It is. It's very portioned. She's a comedian. So I, I know that nothing is going to really offend her. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I've been in the room at Nick's on a Saturday night hearing the most raunchiest jokes sitting right next to her. And we're talking about why that didn't work or or why we liked it or, or what we talk about. I hate saying the science of it, but just the, the, the craft of writing a joke. That's really where the comic is is really focusing on, you know, delivery comes second. But that material is it tight? Did you say say it in as few words as possible? So the fact that Kathy and I have that relationship where I'm learning from her, I look up to her, I put her on a pedestal. I think it affords me the, also the same right to sort of pick on her and make fun of her or, you know, be, be a male chauvinist, you know, with it like a reined in. Like I give her the opportunity to rein me in. Like I'm a flawed person. Like people on the show should should understand that this is um, performance art, really. You know, are you getting the real Rick Fink? 90%, you know, 75%. I mean, we, we embellish things. We, we're, we're trying yeah, to so entertain. Getting, going back to what you said about uh, people hating you for being unapologetic and irreverent. I had a friend, not someone that lives in Medfield, um, ask me, she listens to the podcast, to, to our podcast, if Lindsay and I have gotten any haters or heard of people saying negative things behind our back about the podcast. And to our knowledge, we haven't. I mean, I'm sure it's happened. Um, but I want to pose that question to you. Have you gotten any feed negative feedback either directly or heard about it indirectly? And how have you handled it? I know I joked early on when Lindsay and I first started talking about doing this podcast, I said, we, we know, we'll know we've made it when we get haters and when, when we get haters, well, we're going to have to do what Jimmy Fallon does when he has like the celebrities come on and read their mean tweets. Speaking of that, um, in the first episode of season three, you read the feedback you got from your listener and a listener commented that he or she hopes you land the big one. The Moby Dick is out there and keep reaching for the big dick. Tell us, Rick, what do you consider to be your big dick? We've been getting really good positive feedback. Really want the constructive criticism. We we took a two month break between season two and season three to sort of hit pause, see what we can do. We sort of we came up with new music. We came up with a whole new imaging, and so the show sounds different. The format is a little different. We learned that host sites are now transcribing the audio from podcasts for about the first two minutes, and so you want to get keyword searches in there. And our first two minutes was a theme song and advertising. So by the time we're getting to these keywords, they're few and far between stretched over the next 42 minutes or so. So now I, I come on the show and I preface what you're going to get on the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a great question. We're starting small. We're trying to branch out and grow our audience as we get better and better. At this point, I'm glad that I'm looking back on season one episodes and kind of not cringing. My thing has always been, don't embarrass yourself. Don't say something like that you regret or don't really mean. Have Be entertaining, like you're putting effort into it. I guess as we grow, I want a bigger audience. And if we can get out of the Medfield area, which we're doing, but be more of a, for a national appeal. Right now, we are hitting our daily download rate is about the top 25% of, of podcasts out there, which is a good analytic, I guess. I don't really know what that means, but 25% sounds better than average. But I want, I know we'll make it when we get approached by national sponsors. Simply put, I, I danced around. There you go. Liz wants to hit a uh, butt deodorant. Yeah. Oh, and that's the thing. So that's what I she wants. Like that's our sweet spot. 
<laughs> she feels like that's what our demographic really needs. I know Lindsay and I talk about it all the time. Like we need to have our like unicorn moment. Like what is the idea that we're going to have that would kind of propel us to have a national sponsor want to invest in us because they will get something back from us too. And I mean, you know, she and I work full-time jobs too. So this is our, you know, happy place and, and our labor of love and stuff. And I wish we had more time to kind of spend on it and think through like what, what's going to be our, our turning point and what's going to be our catalyst to take it from like our little pocket of loyal listeners to like, a more nationally recognized forum. We are, we are present. Little. We are present. We are present. That's awesome. So you know what you should do? You should start doing like free references and hashtag your shows about, you know, really like just be like, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're selling it. We're promoting it. Maybe they'll well, we are nationally recognized. We are. Our yeah. analytics say that we are big about 20 countries right now, Liz. Well, not big. We are we are <laughs> little. We are present. We are present, I should say. Qatar. I think we're up to 18. I, I think we're up to 18, but one of them was identified as Indora, and that just looks like a sovereign microstate. I, I don't think that's really a country, but I'm going to take it. Yeah, yeah take it. it. Andorra, we're, we're not there. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in Italy. We're, <laughs> we're big in Japan. Yeah. That I was know. a song, too. But Qatar was the most interesting. I can. Real quick, this is adorable. Two eight-year-old girls on a Zoom call inspired by their mom and their dad. They say, we got to do a podcast. So first things first, what do we call it? Here are their five ideas. And I want you to really listen to the innocence. And that's what's so cute about this. And I think in this world where all adults are being so mean to each other, this is really something that we... Okay, so number one, the Fun Kids podcast. Two, Rosie and Avery's podcast. Three... The BFF podcast. Four, the AR podcast. Five, the Funny Kids podcast. You know, they don't really broaden out too too much in the creativity, but I do like how it goes Rosie and Avery's podcast, and then it goes AR podcast. Like who gets to go first? We'll 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 fight that. We'll see who's the alpha later, but let's put them up on the board, see what sticks. Yeah. So the four topics they want to talk about will go across a four-episode season. Episode one will be how to make friends. Episode two. Watch out, Liz. Moms and dads. <laughs> is that great? Number three, having fun. And number four, going to the park. This is what is on the mind of an eight-year-old girl. I, the life is so simple and pure and great. The equipment the equipment they'll need, I'm very proud. That the number one thing they're going to need is a dad. Isn't that awesome? Number one, we need a dad. Number two, we need a computer. Okay. Everything else is gravy. We need a table, a headphone, controls, chairs, and a room because they're thinking about everything. And we need number nine, each other. And it says end of list. Is that cute? <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh my God. That is so sweet. I think I think we can make their dreams come true, Rick. All right. So shall we close it out with what's in the box? Yes. Um, all right, Rick. Have you gotten anything interesting in the mail recently that you want to share with our listeners? I'll show you with the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? Yes, I did. So during quarantine, we all sort of need to find something to do, right? Because idle hands are the devil's playground. A lot of people that can't afford therapy are doing things like going to Facebook and fighting with other people. Not me. I just make fun of those people and then they all hate me. But when I'm not doing that, I do this podcast. And that makes me feel good. I have lots of friends that have chosen particular endeavors that they've pursued. 
And one of them, Eric Kruger in North Carolina, one of my fraternity brothers, has created Fire in the Hole Hot Sauce. And he's got this mango pepper blend that is off the hook. And I love it. I recommend it. I told him to send some to me. And so he did. And now I want to, if I can help a friend with his product that I really do like. But yeah, that's what I got in the box. Some hot sauce. Send us a link and we'll put it on our blog. Yeah. There you go. That's awesome. Very cool. I love hot sauce. I would try it. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you. So my what's in the box is actually for the first time, I think ever in, since we've started this podcast, Lindsay, it was not something I ordered online. So, so every year when I get my bonus from work, I treat myself to something nice because I earned it. So this year I actually bought a, um, a small painting from the Zulo gallery. Shout out Zulo, shout out Bill Pope. So I wanted something for my office and... I like fell in love with this painting that I had seen at their holiday exhibit. And so I emailed Bill and said, Hey, is this ever still available? And it, after a few weeks, I didn't hear anything back from him. So I thought, oh, bummer, it's not available. But then I think it was actually when I was leaving here last weekend, Linz, I got an email that it was available and the artist could drop it off at the gallery. And so I have a really beautiful six by six painting by a local artist uh, named Melissa Riley. And it's like, when I like look at it in my office when I'm working, it just makes me really happy. So my what's in the box is the old adage, you know, when it rains, it pours and everything in our house decided to break at once. Super fun. My son came home from school and his iPad just shit the bed on him. So new iPad. And that comes with new screen protector, new cover, new case, new everything. When Liz was leaving here last weekend, my husband was futzing with the microwave. And after Liz leaves, he goes, what did you do to the microwave? Use the microwave like a normal human being? No, what did you do to it? Uh, Nothing. After accusing me of sabotaging the microwave for about 20 minutes, I looked inside and I said, well, maybe because this microwave was made in 2008, a year after our son was born, maybe it just shit the bed as well. So right now in our house downstairs are two strange men um, doing God knows what, because I'm up here podcasting, um, giving us a new microwave. And while they're doing that, they're looking at our refrigerator because our ice machine just broke as well. So my what's in the box is very expensive and And not fun, not fun at all, not fun purchases Mm -hmm. and making Ben and I very anxious and none of it is a fun purchase Mm -hmm. from Amazon. Let's just say that. I will make sure to admire and compliment your new microwave on my way out just to make you feel better. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And you know what? The thing, the biggest thing is, is that they don't make things like they used to. And I know I sound like an old oh, grandma when I say that. You had your glasses on when you said Seriously, though, Liz, they don't like. But last as long as the original one. You could have it like when Brandon gets married. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But the thing is, Liz, is that these things don't last as long. And that's what I'm saying is that like our washer and dryer, same thing. Like, yeah. 
So, well, thank you so much, Rick, for being on um, our show. And again, you know, I only used to know you as the guy that used to make inflammatory comments on concerned citizens of Medfield. And, you know, I didn't even ever go on Facebook and know about this site. I just knew of you from our friends that would be like, oh, my God, there's this guy and he makes these comments and then it pisses everyone off and then they make the comments. But, you know, you're way more than that. You're a guy that wears, you know, heels in his basement and you're a comedian and podcast a host in his third season. So we we know that Small Town Scuttlebutt is very funny and we hope. So we have uh, smalltownscuttlebutt.com and there is a, a full catalog of all of our episodes and seasons right there. You, you'd find a podcast anywhere else like Spotify, Apple Podcasts are, are the big ones. Stitcher. I think we're, I think we're bit, pretty much everywhere. Yeah. That all of our listeners start to listen to your podcast if they don't already. Again, thank you so much. They can subscribe, review, and rate, as well as finding us at the same place. Thanks again. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. I appreciate it, ladies. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun.